1: Welcome to a special Friday edition of the podcast. I'm delighted to welcome you all every time we release an episode, even on unorthodox days when I'm not posting usually on Mondays or Tuesdays. There is a lot to break down. We have to eventually cover, gosh, the collapse of the offshore wind industry and how subsidies are not going to save them, a bunch of other bills that are now being reintroduced or mold now that the House is back in session with a new speaker. So much to get through, but we're going to first tee things off with my conversation featuring Congressman Glenn G.T. Thompson, who is the current chair of the House Agriculture Committee. He has been in Congress for a very long time. He knows these issues relating to farming, ranching, rural issues, and even commodities, digital assets, is something he's going to talk about. But we talk largely about the farm bill, the place that farmers and ranchers have, with respect to conservation practices. We talk about the Conservation Reserve Program and so much more. I'll let the chairman speak for himself. If you were confused or unsure or unfamiliar with agriculture policy, I hope my conversation with the agriculture chairman helps to clarify things or simplify things more because there's a lot to understand about farming and policy related to it. And I think the chairman does an excellent job of it. So here's my conversation with Congressman G.T. Thompson for you all today. Enjoy. I'm sitting down with Congressman Glenn Thompson, who is chairman of the Agriculture Committee in the House of Representatives. We're going to talk about conservation, agriculture, conservatism, I think even. But Congressman, thank you so much for having us.
0: Oh, My pleasure. Thanks for the opportunity.
1: It's good to be back in Congress with a new speaker. How is that all going, and and how do you think Speaker Mike Johnson will do? Uh, it's been great.
0: Um, I, I will say that um, you know con- our, our work didn't come to a screeching halt without a speaker. Uh, it was just made a little more difficult, a little more complex. Mm-hmm. Uh, lights were kind of out on the House floor, which is always fr- as a person who has been the number one speaker on the House floor now for probably about eight years. That's it's a frustrating experience for me, um, but at the same time, we you know our our committee work been Just been going well. Very pleased that we do have a Speaker of the House. Uh, Mike Johnson is a good man. Uh, He's articulate. He's smart. uh, He has a vision. I love the fact that uh, when he was uh, running for the position, he put out um, kind of a a mission and a vision, and quite frankly, a schedule. And I was thrilled to see that that schedule included uh, passing a farm bill off the House floor in December.
1: I did see that on his schedule because it is hard to get things across Congress. You have some obstructionists on the other side, unfortunately, and obviously we'll talk more about the Farm Bill, uh, making sure that it's not laced with any questionable provisions. That would dilute from what its intent is. But could you speak more to your district? Because some people may be familiar with you loosely, but talk about your district and how long you've been representing it.
0: Well, I've been representing my congressional district now for 15 years, I'm in my eighth term. Um, when I came into Congress, I was, uh, my seniority, I was 433 out of 435. There were two vacancies down south because of a hurricane, so I was dead last. Today I'm a senior member. Um, I chair the U.S. House Agriculture Committee, a senior on, on the uh, Workforce, and, uh, or Education and Workforce Committee. Uh, I had the privilege of representing today, uh, they're, well there, what are there? There are um, 17 members of Congress in Pennsylvania. And I have the privilege of representing a third of the land mass of Pennsylvania. Wow. Um, uh, Eighteen counties, a great rural area, uh, obviously consistent with the state of Pennsylvania and, quite frankly, almost every state in the nation. My number one industry is agriculture. Um, it's a very rural district, as you can imagine. Uh, we're home to Pennsylvania's only uh, national forest, the Allegheny National Forest. Which, quite frankly, was an oil and gas field before it became a national forest, and because of the wisdom of my predecessors, it is still an oil and gas field. Yes. I show you the consistency of producing energy and still having a just a pristine, beautiful natural resource of what the Allegheny National Forest is. Um, and so I'm, uh, uh, I'm, I'm blessed. We. Uh, you know, our we do have a number of universities. Penn State being the largest within the congressional district, uh, but we have different types of manufacturing as well. Um, we're uh, my small rural counties. I've got about three of them that are considered to be the world epicenter for powdered metal uh, hmm. manufacturing. Uh, we have a lot of new technologies that come out of universities like Penn State uh, that develop uh, entre- entrepreneurs develop great. Um, manufacturing opportunities and really solutions to many of the problems that are facing, uh, that people have and that, that, the, that the country's facing. So I'm, it really is a, it's a blessing and honor to be able to represent such a great congressional district.
1: I think if people have been to your district, they may be familiar with the Marcellus Shale being in the district and also being home to Pennsylvania's Elkert. Yeah, we,
0: uh, from an energy perspective, starting there, we've uh, I mean, our, uh, my, my district in, includes the, the original energy boom, which is timber. Um, in fact, a, a, a small city that I worked in for 28 years providing health care uh, is uh, Williamsport, which is uh, kind of considered, was considered the lumber capital of the world. Mm. Um, we, uh, and the, the coal that fueled the Industrial Revolution and provided two arsenals of democracy came from my congressional district. So how do I know that? Uh, Because uh, I have more abandoned mine sites in my congressional district than the other 434 congressional districts added together. Um, We're proud of that legacy. Mm -hmm. Uh, Now that scar occurred because the federal government told the land, the mine owners, not to do any kind of reclamation. Mm -hmm. Because they didn't know how long World War II was gonna last or whether there'll be a World War III. And so they needed those armaments to be able to uh, keep our country and the world a free place. Um, and of course we have uh, today uh, both uh, the Utica Marcellus Shale within the congressional district. Um, we, uh, we are well blessed when it comes to, to energy, all the above and all the below. And, and then of course we have great natural uh, uh, landmarks like uh, the uh, Pennsylvania's only natural, uh, or Pennsylvania, Pennsylvania's only wild elk herd, uh, which we're really proud of. And quite frankly, probably the most iconic varmint. In the, in the world, Punxsutawney Phil
1: <laughs> yes. is a constituent yes. of
0: mine in Punxsutawney, Pennsylvania.
1: <laughs> and then, I'm trying to remember, in your district, too, I think uh, Ben was reminding me that you are home to Pennsylvania's Grand Canyon.
0: We are. Tioga County, a beautiful landmark, obviously a geological formation, uh, much different than the western sure. uh, Grand Canyon. Right. Which, uh, you know the difference between the two? The Pennsylvania Grand Canyon is much smaller. Uh, but the textures and the colors this time of year, and even in other times of year with the greens, the, the you know the the pines, the the evergreens, um, uh, it's we can capture that on a picture. Where I, I've always found in my trips to the Western Grand Canyon, it's just hard to capture that grandeur in a photograph. You mm-hmm. know that that just breathtaking beauty. But very proud of uh, the Pennsylvania Grand Canyon. We had Pine Creek. Uh, that runs through the bottom of that. We've got a great rails to trail. Um, sadly, when they lifted rails, they, uh, which was sad, we've taken up way too much um, railroad in, in this country. But uh, they have replaced it with a beautiful biking path, which hmm. is just amazing where you can go the entire length of the Pennsylvania Grand Canyon.
1: Wow. Yeah, no, I've heard many wonderful things. I have to check it out at some point. But now let's move into your committee duties in agriculture Some people may not know what the agriculture chairman does or the committee does. Could you give a refresher and talk also about some of your priorities too? Yeah,
0: I mean, uh, what we deal with the Agriculture Committee is all things in rural America. Uh, A lot of people think about the farm and ranch, and that's an important part of it, right? Uh, Supporting the the families that provide us with food and fiber, building materials, and energy resources. Really, these are the families that help provide national security. Because to have national security, you need food security. this, the scope of, of what we do, it goes well beyond providing that uh, those public-private partnerships like crop insurance, risk management tools uh, for our farm families. Um, it's about rural economic development. And it's about rural broadband. Uh, connectivity uh, is an incredibly important part of our mission. Um, it is about uh, obviously bridging the digital divide, uh, but it's about rural utilities too, sewer and water, electricity. You know, the most affordable electricity, certainly in Pennsylvania, is provided by rural electric cooperatives, which are made possible through, through the Agriculture Committee. It's the most reliable and the most affordable. They have a diverse portfolio of energy sources that they use. Um, it is um, about research, and that's important, uh, because American agriculture can be defined as science, technology, and innovation. Uh, it is about, um, well, it's about jobs. Uh, because uh, it is the number one industry in, in almost every state in the nation, mm-hmm. except for perhaps Hawaii. Right, Tourism is kind of uh, caught on in Hawaii, yes. uh, though there's still a robust agriculture mm-hmm. in, uh, in Hawaii. It is about uh, economic impact. Uh, it is, um, it, it's about dollars coming in from other countries in the form of commodity trades. Uh, It is about, it's a stable agriculture and what we do in the agriculture committee, it's a stabilizing force really for world peace because of programs like uh, uh, food for peace, humanitarian programs um, that really provide access to nutrition. Well, They serve two purposes. Number one, they're a market for our farmers, which is Mm -hmm. really important. But number two, there's a truism that people with full bellies are less likely to engage in war. And terrorism. Uh, it is about a better environment because that's American agriculture, our, our, our uh, conservation programs and everything we do, modern agricultural practices, and it's about a better climate because there are no greater climate champions in the world than the American farmer, rancher, and forester. You know there's data out there that, that shows that combined at this point uh, what we do in America, those those American farmers, I'll use that term broadly, mm-hmm. include all the rest, um, they se- sequester an average of 6.1 gigatons of carbon annually, hmm. which is 10.1% more than what they admit, which means there's negligible. no climate champion. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And they're not static, they're dynamic. We're always looking at how we can increase that productivity, mm-hmm. um, and so, uh, but that's, that's all with, un, under the scope of the Agriculture Committee. And then something that, quite honestly, that uh, the more I learned about it, the more it made my head hurt, uh, and that is cryptocurrency.
1: Yes. <laughs> uh, the digital assets,
0: once they're traded, are a commodity, and and the oversight needs to be with the Commodities Future Trading Corporation, which is an agency, an independent agency, that used to be homed inside the USDA. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that, that was back in the days. You know, we've been trading... Commodity since prior to being a country, there are stories about where the farmer that grew the wheat and the baker that needed the wheat met underneath a tree and they <laughs> negotiated what really was futures. I'll pay you this so much, this much for wheat uh, at this point in the future because I'm going to need it to, to make my bread. Um, and um, and then that was uh, those commodities. Because of that, there was an agency created within USDA that oversaw wheat and corn and barley and those types of things. And then at some point, somebody really smart figured out, well, you can also trade as a commodity things like oil and gold and other non-agriculture commodities. So at that point, the Commodities Future Trading Corporation was was created. And today, there's a lot of folks that, that are involved in trading digital commodities, right. Bitcoin either. Um, and um, and so that's, that's how... Um,
1: Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and member FDIC. In the digital commodities <laughs> world. Yeah, Bitcoin is an interesting realm, and there's debate over how it should be regulated. Um, I lean more towards the, the Cynthia Lemus position and, and where she falls onto it. And of course, you have to be careful because now even like China is buying into uh, Bitcoin farms out of Wyoming. It's kind of crazy. They're, they're, they're using the same uh, tactic with um, maybe something I can ask you right now, actually. Uh, kind of what they're doing to uh, to buy U.S. farmland, they're trying to buy other U.S. entities too, even though they're forbidden from engaging in some of these practices. But a big thing before we step into the farm bill is a lot of people on both the right and the left have become increasingly alarmed over China purchasing farmland, although China is not the largest holder yet. But at the rate that they've been acquiring land, it's been alarming. So what is your view and, and what is your committee doing to perhaps address that?
0: Well, you know, this this falls under the category, another truism. of If you don't pay attention to past history, you risk repeating it. In the 1980s, Japan was buying up our agriculture interests. Really? Huh. And in many states stepped up at that point and put limits on how much foreign entities can purchase. So mm-hmm. this is kind of round two. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's interesting that a lot of people don't pay attention to history. Uh, now, uh, I don't think Japan was doing that to, to set up strategic locations to spy on military installations and japan was a island nation uh, and and they needed to have access to food for their citizens china is not an island nation but they're huge they have more stomachs than almost anybody other than india at this point and and they have a lot of bellies to fill Uh, at the same time they have some very devious motivations and so so we can learn lessons from the past. We already have limitations in most states. I know the state of Pennsylvania has one, South mm-hmm. Dakota. I've, I've talked with uh, uh, Governor Noem. She's a friend of mine. We served together in the House, and- um,
1: Governor Yankin just passed something earlier this that's year. That's right, mm-hmm. and I think
0: most of these states already had pre-existing limitations. Now, some of them were tightening them up, which is appropriate. I'm currently, um, ha- I've initiated as the the Chairman of the House Agriculture Committee, an investigation into this issue. Um, and we have, uh, I believe that uh, one of the government agencies, maybe the government accounting agency, is doing a study to look at what the realities are. Because sometimes, believe this or not, we do things emotionally in Washington.
1: <laughs> no. Yeah. And, and I like to be
0: factual. I like to be driven by the facts and data. And so I'm, we're, we're waiting for a study, hopefully we'll get it soon, of exactly what foreign entities are buying what interests. And that's both production and process. Mm-hmm. Um, because at a certain point we will we would reach a critical mass level point where it would put us in a position of food insecurity right. uh, if we don't own and con- if Americans don't own and control those those uh, those basically food businesses agribusinesses whether it's a farm or whether it's a, a processing site so that's that's where we're we're at with it I I am not one that wanted to jump emotionally to solutions i think you have to do a root cause analysis and determine what the facts are so that we can do the right kinds of things i do believe in my heart that one of the one of the outcomes we will see is an issue that's led by one of my senior members on the committee and that is making sure that we add the secretary of agriculture to the cepheus committee because there's already a standing uh in inter department committee uh, that reviews the sale of any strategic American assets to mm-hmm. foreign entities, mm-hmm. and what you know what what risk is that to national security? I put food security to top of the list. Um, though it's never been there, I know there's not a um, there's some pushback and resistance to, to that perhaps from the department, you know that maybe they only want to be there when they have to be there. but I think it's important that the secretary or his or her designee, has a seat at the table uh, on the CFIUS committee, and that we are reviewing any purchase of uh, by a foreign entity of a, a agriculture-specific business.
1: Another maybe concern you may be aware of, and obviously you don't need to have a legislative solution, and I'm not asking about a legislative solution here, but I've become increasingly alarmed with what is known as like cor- corporate farming operations or institutional farming arrangements, where they're trying to divorce farmers from land ownership. Have you heard about that at all, about some of these bigger conglomerates coming in and divorcing farmers yeah, and ranchers? I,
0: I mean, it's, it's a model that we, we need to look at. I'm not necessarily opposed to larger farms. I, I support farms of all sizes and all organizations. I'll be honest with you, the majority of corporate farms are family farms that have incorporated mm-hmm. to protect their personal assets, that we live in such a, a lawsuit-prevalent time. And, um, and so I don't blame families from protecting their personal assets by incorporating mm-hmm. it. So, so there's a bit of a misnomer that that, that, you know, that, that all these, these corporations are such a bad thing. Quite frankly, if it protects families and allow families to continue to farm, it's a good thing. Um, I, you know, I do think it's an issue where you have- um, Like financial asset managers, companies yeah. companies are coming in and they purchase. Now, if they're purchasing and they're producing, if they're running an efficient operation and they're helping with food security and they're creating jobs and they're contributing to the economy and their practices are helping with a better environment and a better climate um, and they're helping to generate trade dollars and commodities being purchased, how do we complain about that? Now, there is some points of discussion on that though um, in terms of different programs that we have, you know, it should be those who are actually, I believe, working the land. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's the farm managers, the farm workers, that perhaps it would be the beneficiary of some of the programs that we have out there versus a, an absentee landowner. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that is worthy of debate and discussion at that point.
1: Let's talk about the farm bill. I know that's one of your big priorities, and it's every five years, comes up to the table. Right. And now with, obviously, things settling back in Congress I think there's a timetable to vote, possibly pass a... Out of the House in Mm -hmm. December. Yes. um,
0: Speaker Johnson has made that very clear as a part of his plan, and I love it.
1: Yes. And talk about how you're going to try to keep the integrity of the farm bill to have it be properly stewarded so it, it does go to the programs, promotes conservation, because what I see your colleagues on the other side doing is trying to insert these kind of non-sequitur, or irrelevant, or maybe politically charged, or very climate alarmist provisions to kind of yeah. keep away from the well, purpose. Um, hey, I'm the chairman of the
0: committee. I'm not going to allow that to happen. Of course, right. Um, but I'm bringing everybody to the table. That's that's my style. I have a lot of, I get a lot of very positive feedback from members on both sides of the aisle in terms of how I'm managing this process. Um, and, and that happened as late as two hours ago on the House floor. Uh, where a colleague of mine that serves on the committee a great member Democrat um, had some very kind things to say about how in in his words I was threading the needle <laughs> um, and so but I do that by bringing people to the table by building ownership but this will be a farm bill that will be bipartisan bicameral and highly effective and w- we do that by making the bill tripartisan so let me hmm. explain tripartisanship my version of it That is Republicans, Democrats, and the American people. And that is why in the past two years and 10 months, I have traveled, well, I'll hit my 38th state uh, a week from Monday in Oklahoma. And that doesn't count the one territory, Puerto Rico, where I've done listening (laughs) sessions. Um, And that doesn't include what we've done in hearings here. Mm -hmm. Uh, I've been in some states multiple times, well over 80 listening opportunities in the past two years and 10 months. And my staff, who keeps track, because when I do go do a listening session, we tend to go and visit farms and ranches and processors. And I'm told that's been over 180 of those sites, wow. as a, as a, uh, cumulatively as a part of that. That's how you make things tripartisan. You mm-hmm. bring the voices of American agriculture and rural communities to the table. And that's how we've been writing this farm bill. And this is why I feel very confident about where we're at in the process. Now we're socializing pay-fors, because there are great ideas that are bipartisan um, that members of both sides of the aisle and collectively have submitted, but unless we can find new dollars, I can't make any of those great ideas a reality. And so now we're trying to work in a bipartisan way to figure out how do we, uh, there's no new dollars, so we gotta figure out how within existing, what's spent in Washington, uh, how do we fund those? And that's exactly where I thought we would be at this process, uh, that. You know, literally, you know, we'll say a month and a half, two months out from, from the floor, um, we're, we're starting to socialize the, the pay-for process here. So I'm, I'm really optimistic about this, uh, of where we're at, and very grateful for the teamwork of, uh, you know, members on both sides of the aisle have, uh, have done, and not just committee members. We opened a portal up to, to every member in the House. Uh, to be able to submit their priorities and their ideas, I've done a lot of member education. Uh, we're going to continue to do that, um, and uh, so I'm uh, I'm very optimistic about where we're at. The Senate can't really address. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I, I have high respect for Senator Stabenow. John Bozeman's one of my best friends. Um, I think they've been leaning into this and doing good work. The Senate will do what the Senate does in the time frame that the Senate wants to. But I am. I'm thrilled to have a speaker that that supports me uh, to give us that will provide us floor time, you know, prior to the end of the calendar year.
1: I think a lot of people people have mixed opinions about the farm bill. There, some people have concerns about you know where the money goes, and some people may be questioning of things. But I think one of the best aspects of it, even despite you know criticisms you hear the conservation programs. Could you speak to some of the conservation programs? Because they really do empower landowners.
0: Yeah, they uh, they empower our farmers and ranchers uh, in a significant way. It helps them deal with um, um, just a, a difficult regulatory environment. It allows them to, to, to achieve compliance in a smart way. And our conservation programs are successful because they are locally led um, and voluntary. Mm-hmm. Um, and it actually... There have been more, just one example of an outcome, there have been more endangered and threatened species delisted through USDA farm bill provided, voluntary and locally led conservation programs than the fish and wildlife could ever hope to achieve. Um, it helps them financially because these conservation programs largely help with soil health. And if you, get, you achieve better soil health, you increase productivity. You increase productivity. You increase profitability. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the conservation programs are, are are very effective tools. Very proud of them. I chaired the, the subcommittee that led on conservation, <coughs> actually conservation and forestry, for six years. And so I've immersed myself into those programs. They are great public-private partnerships because. <coughs> excuse me. Where are we? Um, where we've invested and empowered these conservation programs, we normally have nonprofits and even private sector companies, uh, organizations that step, step to the table and uh, invest them in as well.
1: To so those who say that ranchers and farmers are an impediment to environmental stewardship, true conservation, what do you have to say to those people?
0: Ignorance is bliss um, it, uh, because that's just not true. You know, the facts and the science are completely. Um, um, to the contrary, I mean, um, even, even one of the biggest targets lately has been the livestock industry. Mm-hmm. That somehow, somehow, the methane, just like you and I express when we when we breathe, um, is is hard on the environment. Um, those livestock, that livestock, when they're grazing, <coughs> when they're in pastures, when they're in paddocks, they're stimulating root growth um, through. Um, basically, what they release, um, uh, and and quite frankly, those hooves that are constantly working as they as they move around, and so uh, you know they, you know, I shared with you a statistic already in terms, of, and that is that is crops, livestock, and trees are what contribute to sequestering six point one gigatons of carbon annually, ten point one percent more than what they. Um, more than what they um, release. And I am absolutely convinced with the right farm bill, we can help grow that margin. Um, and so um, so I just encourage folks not to jump on the, the political correct bandwagon. Um, and just because you hear it or read it on social media doesn't mean it's true. Agriculture is science. And science, technology, and innovation, I'm very proud to be a part of America's number one industry um, it's, it's not just about feeding us, it's about making sure we have a better environment and cleaner
1: climate. That's true, and something you could take away uh, Florida cowboys and ranchers told me cows keep Florida green, or you could say any <laughs> insert state here, but cows do keep the environment green. So, Congressman Thompson, Please Chairman Thompson, thank you so much no, for pleasure. the interview. Thank
0: you, what a privilege to be able to talk with you.
1: Thanks for listening to District of Conservation. If you enjoyed what you heard today, go leave us some reviews on Apple and Spotify or wherever podcasts are played. Your feedback will help us reach more people. And I love to know what is on your mind after each episode. Be sure to follow us on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter to never miss a beat or a guest announcement, because that is our way of updating all of you listeners. And we have just hit a thousand followers on Instagram for the podcast account. Thank you very much. And if you have any guest suggestions or topics you want to hear on the show, I'm all ears. I would love to hear your feedback there. Thanks for listening and stay tuned for the next episode.